Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks, and we pray that in this next uh, amount of time, we pray that you would be speaking to us through these words which are in 1 John. We pray you'd be speaking to us through them, and through my words as well. And would you lift our eyes to the Lord Jesus, that we might see him and see just how an amazing saviour he is for us. Amen. Amen. So what does being a Christian look like? What does being a Christian look like? Uh, Well, if we were to ask the people out there in the world, I think they'd probably say one of the following things. Perhaps they'd say this. Christians are hopelessly out of touch. The world's changed and their beliefs are out of date. Perhaps they'd say this. Christians may be nice people, but what they believe is dangerous. People should be able to do whatever they want. Perhaps they'd say this. Christians are good people, but they get warped all over. They need to toughen up and stop being so naive. Perhaps they'd say this. Christians... Christian leaders especially, are dangerous. Just look at all the scandals we've seen recently. Perhaps they say this, Christians are hypocrites. They say one thing, but they do something completely different. Perhaps you'd add something else that you've come across. Well, what we hear from others affects what we think we need to be as Christians, and I think that crushes us. It makes us want to put a mask on. It makes us want to change what we believe. What does it look like to be a Christian? Well, this passage that we're in this evening starts to answer that question. In fact, the whole book that we're studying at the moment, 1 John, answers that question. You see, the context that this letter was written into, that John wrote 1 John into, is is a letter to a church. It's a letter to a church that had suffered under false teaching. Some people had come into this church, they were saying that Jesus wasn't really God, and they were saying that you don't need to believe certain things that we're going to see this evening. That had a terrible effect on the church. The church split, people left, and the people that are left behind are thinking, what does it mean? What does it look like to be a real Christian? Well, this passage starts to unpack that. And as we get into this passage, we'll see that being a Christian means this. It means we can be real. It means we can be real with all our struggles, and we can be real with our sin. And we can be real because we have a real saviour. We have a real saviour who is really, really good. So... As I said, uh, the, 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 the question is, what does it look like to be a Christian? And the answer flows out, as we're going to see, the answer flows out of who God is. And then there are three implications that John pulls out that we're going to see here. But who is God? The answer to that is down there in verse 5. So page 1021, who is God? Well, 1 John chapter 1 verse 5 says this, this is the message that we have heard from him, from God, and proclaim to you 
that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. This is a message from God himself. This isn't a stab in the dark. This isn't some human guesswork. The one from the beginning that we saw last week, the real God become real man, Jesus Christ, who John really saw, who he really heard, who he really touched, really spoke these words. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, 1 John, the letter we're in uh, this evening and for the next uh, couple of months, I think, 1 John has got two halves, and each half flows out of a statement. The first half revolves around this statement, God is light. The second half, which we'll get to at the end of the term, revolves around the statement that God is love. God is light, God is love. So we have to get our heads around what it means that God is light. That's key for this evening's passage, but it's also key for the coming weeks. So what does it mean that God is light? It's pretty cryptic, isn't it? God is light, what does that mean? Uh, well, Herman Bavink, who's a Dutch theologian from the last hundred years, he was a theologian who looked at the whole sweep of the Bible's teaching and summarized it into what's called a systematic theology, which is a summary of the, the teachings of the Bible. He said this, what light is in the natural world, the source of knowledge, purity, and joy, what light is in the natural world, God is in the world of the spirit. And I think that matches pretty well with what the Bible says about God being light. Uh, so in this passage, I think particularly it means three things. The first thing is this. When, when we think of light, we think of knowledge and truth. In a dark room, if you want to find out what's in there, you don't fumble around, or you could do that, but it's, you know, it gets a bit dangerous. You turn on the light. If you're looking for something and you can't find it outside, you turn on the torch on your phone. If we're in the dark, we're confused. Light is knowledge and truth. And in the Bible, we find the same. Jesus is called a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's Luke chapter 2, if you're taking notes. God was a pillar of fire leading the way in the wilderness, Exodus 13. So light is knowledge and truth. But secondly... Light has this kind of sense of cleansing, of purity. Um, if you shine sunlight onto something, it will kill germs and viruses. Light has a cleansing purity. And in the Bible, it's the same. God's light is purity and holiness, and it also brings purity and holiness. Isaiah 10, 17, if you're taking notes, talks about that. So God's light is knowledge and truth, purity and holiness and thirdly well light has warmth doesn't it i don't know if you've enjoyed the sunlight the last few days light has warmth it brings joy sunlight physically affects the chemicals in our bodies it makes us feel better and in the bible god's light isn't this terrible cold sterile thing it's joyful that's why Chapter 1, verse 4, talks about, you know, fellowship with God and with other Christians, that our joy might be complete. Light and joy, blessing. 
So we see that as well in Psalm 97.11, if you're, if you're taking notes. So God's light is this. It's knowledge and truth. It's purity and holiness, joy and blessing. But look, these are not just things that God has. These are things that God is. They flow out of him like light and warmth from the sun. God is light. And he's not a terrible light that will zap us like one of those bug-killing lights. It won't zap us if we get too close to it. No, God's light is loving, and his love is lit up with his light. They both flow from him. They both find their source in him. God isn't like Jekyll and Hyde, switching between one and the other. He's not light one day and love the next day. No, he's light. Uh, sorry, God's light is loving, and his love is lit up with his light. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. 100% goodness, 100% truth, 100% purity and holiness, 100% joy. Isn't that an astonishing thought? This is not something to run away from. This is something to delight in. So what does it look like to be a Christian? Well, the answer flows out of the fact that God is light. Now, in the rest of our passage this evening, John uh, turns to to the three implications of the fact that God is light. Um, There are three claims down here. Have a look at uh, the the verses we're in, um, chapter 1, verse uh, 5 uh, through to 2, verse 2. There are three claims in there that were probably said by the people that were the false teachers that had left the church. And each claim starts with three words, if we say. I wonder, if you just look at your Bible now, just in front of you, can you spot those three claims? Can you spot the three if we says? The first one's there in verse 6. The second one's there in verse 8. And the third one is there in verse 10. We're going to get to them in turn. But before we do, I'll just say this. These are are not ancient claims. These are not ancient things. These are things that we hear today. These are three claims that we even hear from Christians And there are, sadly, even three claims that we hear from some of the leaders of the church here in England. And with each claim, John lays it out. There's a choice and there's a consequence. And as John responds to those claims, he starts to paint a picture of what it means to be a real Christian. And it's a gloriously good picture. So the first claim is down there in verses 6 and 7. Have a look down there. Can you see it? The first claim is there in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, with God, while we walk in darkness. So the claim is that they are Christians, but they're walking in darkness. Well, the contrasting option is in the next verse. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. So walking in the darkness and claiming to be a Christian or walking in the light as God is in the light. What does that actually mean, though? What does walking in the light actually mean? Well, I think, first, we need to remember that God is light brings to mind those things we saw earlier on, truth, godliness, perfection. But walking in the light can't mean living a perfect life. 
It can't mean living a perfect life because, as we're going to see in the coming verses, being a real Christian means admitting that we've really sinned. So what does it mean? What does it mean to walk in the light? Well, I think it means this. I think it means the direction that we're walking in. Is our, is our general direction walking towards God or is it running away from him? Are we open to God or like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, are we hiding from him? It's not about perfection, but it is about direction. Uh, John Bunyan was a, a Christian author and a pastor about 400 years ago. He wrote a really famous book, you've probably all heard of it, Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress is, is an allegory of the Christian life. And it's, it's, you know, it's the story of a Christian's life, but told as a journey. A journey that the main character, who's called Christian, is not a very original name for the, for the story, but he's called Christian. Christian makes his journey from his hometown towards the celestial city. And as he journeys on, it's not a straightforward journey. It has ups and downs. There are stumbles and falls, but it's all in the direction of God. And I think that's what walking in the light means here. It doesn't mean perfection, but it does mean direction. Now look, you're going to have to come back uh, again for, for more information, for more of a kind of explanation of what walking in the light means. That's basically explained for the rest of the letter. But here we're, we're called to think about this question. Are we walking in the light? Are we walking towards God or are we running away from him? Are we hiding in darkness from God or are we open to God? You see, the consequences are stark. If we're walking in darkness, if we're running away from God, if we're hiding from God whilst pretending to have fellowship with him, then have a look at verse 6. Have a look down there. The consequence is that we're lying and that we're not practicing the truth. But if we are walking in the light, if we are walking towards God, if we are open to him, even though we're sinners, we'll have a look at verse 7. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We grow closer to each other. And we grow closer to the likeness of Jesus, becoming more like him. So as Christians, we're to walk in the light. Now I think a, re a really important principle comes out of this. And that's this. This is the important principle. The way we do things matters as much as what we're hoping to achieve. Or put it another way, the ends don't justify the means. God cares how we do things. Well, there, there have been many scandals recently concerning evangelical leaders, uh, concerning ministry leaders, where it turned out that they were claiming fellowship with God whilst hiding from God in the darkness. And tragically, sometimes those leaders and their ministries were defended 
because they were successful. 1 John says we're to walk in the light. The way that we do things matters as much as what we're hoping to achieve. As many of you know, I'm, I'm a year into my role here. And one of the things, one of the many things I'm really grateful to God for in this church is the church oversight team and the trustees. And these men and women, they work hard on your behalf to try and ensure that the things that are done here in this church are done walking in the light, with good governance, with transparency. Um, you, you may not know that they, those two things even exist. If you don't, please do go and have a chat with Claire or with David, who are our trustees. Have a look on the, the church website, find out what they do. But let's pray for them. Let's encourage them in that super important role that they have. So what does it look like to be a Christian? Well, the first thing that John says is that because God is light, we walk in the light. And the second thing he says is there in verses 8 through to 9. And the second claim that John responds to is there in verse 8. Have a look down, verse 8. If we say we have no sin. Now, this claim and the next one are pretty similar, but there is a subtle difference between them. You see, here, people were claiming that they had no sin. Perhaps they'd done something, but they were saying they weren't guilty that they were innocent, that what they were doing is not really a sin at all. And when we think about it that way, that sounds very, very, very contemporary. You see, the, the alternative that John says is there in verse 9. Have a look at verse 9. The alternative is that we confess our sins, that we acknowledge to God that actually we have sinned, and that we say sorry for those sins. Claiming that we're innocent, that we haven't done anything wrong, or acknowledging our sins. Do you see the consequences of each option? Verse 8, if we say we've no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It's self-deception. We're lying to ourselves again and there is no truth in us. But here's the astonishing part. Because God is light and love, if we do confess our sins, if we do acknowledge that we've messed up, if we admit we've done those things that we shouldn't have done and we've not done those things we should have done, well, do you see it down there? God is faithful and just. You see, God's not a God who's waiting to catch us out. If we're faithless towards him, if we sin... He remains faithful towards us. He's a God of loving light. But more than that, he's just as well. He doesn't airbrush out our sins. They are real sins. They're real offenses against him. He's a God of light. He will deal with them. Justice will be served. But for the person who turns to him and acknowledges that sin and says, sorry, the Lord bears the punishment upon himself. He's a God of love, lit up with light. That because he's faithful and just, the Lord really will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's always been like this. He's always been like this. He always will be. He's the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. And that's wonderful news. That's wonderful news. Look, this is why we always incorporate confession in our church services here. Uh, Whether it's in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, or in a more lengthy confession like we did earlier on with the words from Psalm 51. Uh, the, The Anglican Book of Common Prayer, 1662, which is one of our founding documents as a church, has confession in both the morning service and the evening service, which should happen every day. And it starts off with this reminder. I'm going to read it out to you. The language is slightly updated, but check this out. This is almost 400 years old, and it's incredible. The BCP says this. The Bible encourages us repeatedly to acknowledge and confess our many sins and evil ways, and that we should not try to hide them from Almighty God, our Heavenly Father. It continues. We're to confess them with a humble, lowly, penitent, and obedient heart, so that we may receive forgiveness through God's infinite goodness and mercy. It carries on. We should humbly admit our sins to God at all times, but especially when we come together as a church. Uh, These are my words from now on. So, so often church feels like a place where we need to wear masks. So often it feels like a place where we need to pretend that we're fine, that we're doing great. But brothers and sisters, this is a hospital for sinners. This isn't a museum for saints. This is the one place the one place where we can be real. We can be real about our sins because we have a real saviour. We have a real saviour who really died to really forgive our real sins because he's faithful and just, because of his infinite goodness and mercy. Uh, One of my favourite songs uh, is an old song called Come Ye Sinners. It has this line in it. And it's great. It says, all the fitness that he requires, all the fitness that God requires, that the Lord Jesus requires, is to know our need of him. So what does it look like to be a Christian? Well, the second thing that John says is that because God is a God of light, we can acknowledge and confess our sins to him in the confident hope. Of forgiveness. Well, the, the third claim that John responds to is down there in verse 10. Have a look at verse 10. It's pretty similar to the last claim, but there is a subtle difference, as I said. The third claim is that if we say we have not sinned, and the subtle difference is this, is that whereas the last one was about being guilty or innocent after doing something sinful, This one here is more about whether you've actually done something in the first place. Well, the reality is that until we go to be with the Lord, sin will always have a foothold in our life. We're never going to be free of sin until we meet the Lord face to face, whether that's on the day of his return or the day of our death. Uh, One commentator helpfully put it this way, all God's dealings, all of God's dealings with people rest on the basis that we are sinners in need of salvation. That's the teaching of the Bible. 
That's the teaching of the Bible. So if we claim we've not sinned, well, as John continues in verse 10, we make God a liar. And his word isn't in us. But look where he goes in the next verse. Look down there where he goes. Chapter 2, verse 1 says this. Yes, he is writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but and this is one of the great buts in the Bible. This is the but that marks out the alternative option. This is God's glorious offer to us. If anyone does sin, and of course we do, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You see, because God is loving light, because God is lit up love, we have an advocate, we have a helper. We have one who pleads our case for forgiveness before God. We have a great high priest who offers himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. That's what propitiation means down there in chapter 2, verse 2. Jesus is himself the sacrifice that bears God's justice, that our sins deserve. He himself earns God's favor towards us. All the fitness that he requires is that we know our need of him. Now look, this isn't just for those in the first century. This is an offer of forgiveness that's offered, have a look down at verse 2, that's offered for the sins of the whole world. If only we'll accept it. If only you'll accept it. So the question we have to ask is, will we accept it? Will you accept it? Perhaps today is that day. Perhaps today is the day when you'll accept it for the first time. Perhaps today is the day that we start to be real with God again. Perhaps today is that day. Perhaps it's not. Perhaps you're here, you're exploring, you're still thinking, still thinking, is this real? Is this true? And if, if that's you, we are, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. There are two things that I just want to point out to you right now. The first is Christianity Explored. This is the other flyer. There's two. I've got one. Tim's got another. You can have this afterwards. Um, this is a course where you can go and you can bring your questions. You can find out more. Wednesdays, November, 7.45 till 9 in here. Have a chat with Tim afterwards if you're interested in coming to that. Bring yourself or bring a friend. The second one is this. This is John's Gospel. This is written by the same John that wrote 1 John. And this is an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. If you're thinking, is this true? Is it good? Please take away one of these. We've got a whole stack of them there. This is the best way that you can find out for yourself. But let this sink in. If we wear a mask and pretend to be sinless, we miss out on all of this. If we wear a mask and pretend to be sinless, we miss out on everything that I have just said. But if we do acknowledge our sins, if we turn empty-handed to Jesus for forgiveness, we receive this wonderful gift. The one we saw last week, he who is from the beginning, the real God who became a real man, Jesus Christ, he really stands there before God our Father on our behalf. He really is mediating for us. He really has offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. It's real. It's happening right now. 
So what does it look like to be a Christian? This is the third thing. The third thing that we have just seen is that because God is a God of light, we can trust in Jesus' sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. Well, at the start, we asked that question, what does it look like to be a Christian? And the world has a whole bunch of ideas, but this is real Christianity. This is real Christianity. A real Jesus who really was God and who really became a human, who really died on the cross to really save real sinners, to really save real people like us people who try but mess up, people who want to walk in the light towards God but struggle, and it's so difficult, isn't it? People who want to make progress in this but admit that they can't do it in their own strength. We've got a real savior who saves real people. So we don't need to wear masks here. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short. This isn't a museum for saints, this is a hospital for sinners. This is the place where the Lord Jesus says, come, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. This is the place where Jesus says, I'm faithful and just, and I forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is the place where Jesus says, you're forgiven. So as we close, what does being a Christian mean? It means walking in the light towards God, It means admitting we've sinned and confessing those sins. It means trusting in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. John Newton, who is one of my heroes, put put it this way at the end of his life. John Newton said this, pastor from the, the 17th century. He said this, two things I know. I'm a great sinner, but Jesus is an even greater saviour. Amen. Uh, We're going to take a moment uh, of quiet, a moment for reflection. What is it about this Jesus that really makes your heart sing? What is it about this Jesus that's made an impression on you? What is it your heart needs to say to him right now? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are such a wonderful savior. We really want to walk in the light, but it is so hard. We thank you that you're a real saviour who died for real sinners. So would you help us to be men and women who are real? Men and women who confess their sins. Men and women who turn to you for forgiveness. We thank you that you're a real saviour for real people with real sins. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing our final song.